Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Screen Talk and Dior's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And in this week's episode, we're going to discuss a whole bunch of stuff, a recent announcement from Sundance and some other festival tweaks, the Academy's new membership, shifting stuff going on around the studios, some uncertainty around the theaters, and Hamilton coming to Disney+. Plus. So actually, all things considered, Ann, I have to say it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like we may not have the opportunity to say that there's a lull even when things are shut down in this new normal but there's always a lot of news some of it very it's unpleasant <laughs> and, you know this time of year we would be speculating about the fall festivals we'd have some some lineups to talk about we'd be hearing what's in what's not in that's it true may not be following that same path but what is interesting is that you're seeing every step of the way there is this kind of like expansion of the timeline for various kinds of shutdown sort of parameters and, and how the industry responds. So it's like, we're, we're not just talking about two, three months from now, we're talking about six months from now. So this week what was really interesting was the Sundance statement about what Sundance is thinking about doing. So we're already into January and what that's going to look like. And I think we, we should talk about this from a few different perspectives, because on the one hand, it seemed to me like Sundance was giving us a really clear indication that they are keeping their options open with virtual opportunities and shifting a, a date potentially to, to late January. Uh, but at the same time, we still don't know what that's going to look like. All we know is that they probably don't want to be the new Toronto, as we thought might end up happening. I never thought so, even if they push the date, especially if they push, they're, they're saying they might push the date back to January 28th, which would totally take them out of it. Here's the deal. There are all these deadlines, submission deadlines for the Oscars in January and, and Feb, you know, up to February. And, and you know, if you, if you can't just launch a movie after Sundance and get into the awards race. It's not going to work. No, and, and if you had, even if you had opening night, say January 28th, whatever the night looks like, I mean, we, they say they want to have an in-person event, but even if you were the opening film, having, launching an Oscar movie at that point would be totally impractical. I think they, I think they are very much on mission, and I was very um, impressed, actually, by Carrie Putnam's uh, and, and, Tab- and Tabitha Jackson's, because there's two different stories here. One is Sundance and what's going to happen to the festival. The other is that they're actually trimming their staff by 13%. Right. And Institute. if you think about that, this is the big, healthy, robust Sundance Film Festival. If they're trimming back like this, and then that was followed by Alamo trimming back, you know, about half of their corporate staff, the theater chain, the indie theater chain, you can see that this is happening. This is going to happen across the board. And I worry, I worry about a wholesale. um, I I did this interview with the people who are running um, true false in Columbia, Missouri, and, and they lost the head of their festival and cinema and they lost um, 
uh, the, the, one of their big programming guys and three women are running it now. And, and I could just see that the numbers for a nonprofit like that supported for the moment by their sponsors and their local, uh, lar the largesse of the people who want them to exist, their, their subscribers and everything. I don't see how you sustain. And, and, well, and look, I just worry that all of these places are just going to go down in flames. I mean, now. it's a, it's it, well, some will go down in flames. Some will be running on fumes. Right. And that's already happened. I mean, a couple of months ago, there were, there were situations where you had layoffs at all kinds of film nonprofits. The Seattle international film festival went down to a staff of three people, you know, and it's a skeleton crew, I think, just because of necessity, but it's still around in some capacity. I think on some level, it's important to note that, one, none of these businesses were a surefire bet. They were, they were all, always on kind the edge, of fresh. But they were, in, they were under, they were in the nonprofit art world or often and supported by sponsors and supported by people yeah. who no longer want to support them. Basically. And I suspect, I suspect that that kind of support will find some ways of, of, of trickling back into the conversation. But like most of society right now, there are just so many unknown kinds of factors. And the other thing that, that's worth pointing out is, and I've talked about this a bunch, you look at festivals and filmmaking in other parts of the world and the government is invested in them to succeed. There's like a cultural imperative. We don't see that kind of crisis acknowledged here. And I think that's part of the challenge too in, you know, across North America is that film festivals are not seen as this thing that we as a country need to be supporting. And so that's part of the challenge that we're going to face going forward too. It's going to need to be built up again in whatever kind of new normal we face in, in the, the months and in years ahead. I'm just concerned there's going to be a good deal of attrition and a good, a, a lot of the smaller places are just going to have to, to, to go away. And, and that's too bad. Um, or join forces in some cases where we may see some new kinds of institutions come up. I mean, I know I think I'm an that's a possibility, actually. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, good people idea are going to have to. Put, put their sources, put their resources together, send programming around, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no real other alternative and some of these things may work better than others and not everybody wants to have a conversation together so some people will fall off and and, and all that but movies aren't gonna i mean the art form itself is does it doesn't just go away and the opportunity to curate it is going to be something that people are going to try to continue to figure out in some fashion what may so, go away is is the opportunity to to see it in theaters and, yes. and that's what concerns me. I was happily, happy to see that Locarno, your favorite film festival, is actually going to be uh, putting some movies up in outdoor theaters and in, in theaters in, in Locarno. Uh, they have a festival of sorts. It's older material. It's not new stuff, but I was happy. Yeah, and they're doing... I found that heartening. They're doing secret screening type things where it's like there's certain venues where you can pop into in the city or in the town and, and you don't know what you're going to see and they're limiting capacity. So it doesn't it doesn't become this thing where some everybody's going to go rush to see a movie because it sounds like something they all want to see. So they're, they're experimenting, which and is London interesting. And London is doing a, a different thing, too. They're, 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 what's interesting, they have 50 titles also, like Toronto, um, and they're going to be uh, putting uh, like 12 previews out into the into the country into different cinemas that they that they're sponsoring and it's it's sort of like to help the theaters get back up that kind of thing um so that and they're going to have audience prizes which i thought was a nice thing to do as long as they're yeah. putting all their programming online uh you might as well get the audience to vote on it
Yeah, I mean, it's look, available I don't know. outside all over the UK. It'll we. I don't know if we're going to be able to in, in, in get involved. There's BNI stuff yeah. though. I they mean, yeah, that's a challenge. The the geo blocking thing is a challenge because we all want access to anything that's happening now, and 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 the reality is, film festivals were never quite like that. So why should they be like that in their new form? But it is an open question of how do you evolve to the new kind of paradigms people demand in terms of how they view things. Yeah. But I do think that it, it's we're only going to get to the other side of this through that constant sense of experimentation and not by people just throwing up their hands and being like, well, film festivals were a nice idea for, you know, 70 odd yeah, years. We need and- them. You and I need them. I mean, as, as dire as, as, you know, it might be, we're, we're planning to try to, participate as much as as we can and i I don't want to sound like a broken record but the this stuff's been the art form is uh, people are not i mean we don't know how everybody's going to go back to work i had an interesting interview with guillermo del toro this week where he talked about the pinocchio stop motion experience and the fact that you can you can do stuff like that you know with with the scheduling of different animators at different times and stuff so people are going to figure out ways of getting back to work but movies are may even if there's a slowdown it, it, people are going to keep making them in some capacity and so the question is oh no i think there's going to be a lot of great stuff i do I, yeah, i'm yeah. I, it's just a question of how we're going to consume it you know and, and in what form um i don't think it's going to i think that this direct uh, the kind of relationship that Netflix has with with its audience and and the streamers and the kind of relation which has built up over the years and I don't think the other streamers have quite made the same connection that Netflix has. Um, but the distributors like Universal are really getting a kick out of being able to have a direct relationship with audiences, measure them, collect them, you know, refine them, know how to reach them, and yep. I don't think that's going away. I think they like right. it, and I think they data want to keep collection it. is yeah, it's a big part of it. And, the, the, the and even in the virtual cinemas, your uh, Ira Deutschman gave us this interesting piece that's up on the site with a lot of different recommendations for what to do with with virtual cinema to make it work better. But there really is this conflict between uh, what what the distributors info, the information they want and the information that the theaters want to keep. And they don't want to share. And that's true across indies and uh, theater chains and studios. Yeah. And I was right. The time to adapt is now if, if yeah. we're going to get this right. So I'm glad that we had that piece and I encourage people to read it. One in entity that certainly has not stopped moving along and making plans for the future is the Academy. And this week we got this update about all of its new members. And I'm always, I always find it fun. I think we've talked about this before. It's like, we all know people who get we in do. and we go <laughs> around <Deutschman>. and congratulate. <laughs> yes. Son of Ira. <laughs> From one to the next. Yeah. Tom Crassus. Yay. Hey, and Why yeah, wasn't I, he a member before? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I start like Tom is my age, stuff. by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was surprised to see that he was. But you go around texting people or sending them email congratulations. A lot of times, because we get the release, so we see it right away. They, they don't know. I like told him. They, I told yeah, Tom. They, I said, like, congratulations. What? He said, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> I told uh, Thierry Fromo, our Screen Talk guest from, uh, guest from a few weeks ago, he had no idea. And John Cooper from Sundance. Why wasn't yep. he, you know, all along? Yeah, he had to basically agents. retire. <laughs> they, yeah, he's, he's out of it now, but he can still participate. Anyway, they, um, they added agents. There were 111 yes, of them before and another 20 something added and uh, uh, they can vote now. They're all very pleased. A lot of other people are like, what the hell? I mean, the reason I think is that they might be counted upon to have more mainstream taste than some of the um, many, many people they've been inviting. Uh, the, the one that struck me the, 
documentary branch. That list went on for pages. And it occurred well, to me that many of the categories that they've been inviting people into, they invite a lot of women, they invite a lot of people around the world, international as, as the most, the biggest section now of, of, of all the people they, they've been inviting, um, the biggest group. Uh, Docs allows them to really go for uh, diversity. That's where they Yeah, and also that's, I mean, I don't know exactly what the process is like, but that is a very engaged branch. They're very close to the ground. A lot it used of them to be a very small coterie, though. Yeah. And that's yeah. no longer I mean, I, the case. I, 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 I do wonder now. about that. Yeah, the opening the, the floodgates in that respect, how that could change. And certainly if there's a more international representation in terms of how they're looking at documentaries, that could be very interesting coming off of, you know, when Honeyland got that dual nomination for foreign and doc, it makes you wonder if maybe there, there will be a push to move further in that direction. And to go back to the agency thing, though, I, I think it is worth looking at this and the and the pushback because to me it's like if you're a member of the organization that does the oscars i think you should be able to vote i i don't understand this idea of being a member and not voting there's publicists can vote and there's more publicists last i heard there were more publicists yeah. than right obviously that there was always a um a, um all right. Part of this has to do with the Academy being this elite organization, you know, this ivory tower of, of the best of the best. That is no longer what it is. It, mm -hmm. it isn't. They've added many, many people who are very young, very, haven't had that much experience, um, could hardly be described as the most successful in their, you know, it's, it's just they, they're adding up and comers, younger people. They're adding a lot of people who are not established. Um, mm -hmm. People that you and I have never heard of are on these lists and yeah. we should know them and we should find out who they are. But, but the point is, it's not what it used to be. And so why, why withhold voting rights to the agents at this point? They used to think of them as being, you know, Sammy Glick, uh, you know, the kind of uh, venal uh, deal makers, right. you know, that, that we'll, take, we'll, we'll let them clients. get us work, but we don't yeah. want them in the room for the, the real conversations. About but many of them are very involved in putting movies together as much as any producer or film executive. And I think, I, I think those distinctions are sort of past uh, their, their value at this point. It is a hell of a time to become like an Academy member. I mean, I, I'm sure it's a huge honor regardless, but in the year in which we have no idea what the awards race is going to look like, it, it should be fascinating for people to figure out, you know, I mean, how do you consider your options? It's not going to have tr involved traditional campaigning, probably not going to involve festival launches. So it's, you know, as, as an Academy member, I'm sure it'll be interesting to talk to people and, and find out, you know, what their experience is like if they have nothing to compare it to. But a lot um, of our favorite movies of the year are already up on the Academy website. And that's true. Are watching it's already it. started. So they can yeah, look at so. the Eliza Hitman movie, uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. You know, you, they can look at uh, Emma. They, you know, they can see things. Uh, First already. Cow. Don't forget about First Cow. Did you see Unlikely. First Cow? Remind I did. I, 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 you yeah, you know, did. I enjoyed it, you're, but it's, I don't think did. it's an Oscar movie. I don't. <laughs> well, that movie oh, is coming shocked, out. Shocked, are we? <laughs> I've I don't been know. Kelly I mean, Reichert's movies for years, Eric. <laughs> we Wendy live in shocking is a personal times. Favorite. I, Wendy and know, Lucy. Yes. Wendy's actually a 2020 movie. Yeah, but, I like but, Wendy and Lucy very much. Well, more than first, Wendy. First Cow is is maybe one of her more accessible movies since Night Moves. I mean, it's a buddy movie about some guys stealing 
stealing milk, you know? Accessible is not the word I would use. I'm so, excited to see. That movie is coming out on VOD next week. People are going to talk about it, and it's going to be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's overdue to be appreciated. But we'll see how it goes. I do think that's a good point, though. She has though, a very that, devoted audience. It's just yeah. a small one. And, and that's what, you know, she makes the movie. She knows she that, too. To make. I have all due respect for her, believe me. But but I think it is an interesting. I love point Meek's that, cut off too. By the way. Good, okay, like good. Westerns. So you're, you you've appreciated a few, <laughs> and this one's kind of a western too. But um, it is the, actually. the idea the idea of award season being this act that you could start digging through screeners now before sure. the fall. I mean that feels like a shift in a way. It's like you know i i it, it comes back to this question of do we really want the oscars later i don't know so Maybe i was talking to this stuff. guy i don't know if i agree with him but he, he's somebody who works on uh, foreign campaigns and he was suggesting to me that this that i was saying that maybe the foreign submissions would be cut down that there would be fewer of them and he thought he thinks the opposite if you don't have a barrier of entry of having to open your your movie in your country in theaters and paying for an entire release then you could actually just throw throw a dcp at the academy you know and load it up and pay for that and that there will be more uh, submissions from more places as a result. I'm, there were 90 something last year, 92, mm. I think. I don't see how it could be more than that, but it's an interesting theory. Well, it doesn't cost a lot of money to um, to submit, right? I mean, it's no. in terms of, so it's more about just taking that initiative. I mean, a lot of times with, with the awards game, it really is about people doing their homework and figuring out how to submit that it's worth submitting. And then, and I mean, you look at sometimes when it's like, oh, that established filmmaker won an Oscar for a short film or something. And it's like, well, yeah, that established filmmaker knew that they were making a movie they could bring into that process and it does open up this question of if you're aware of how the academy operates how to submit what those deadlines are and then how to kind of campaign without breaking the rules then you know a lot of different opportunities open up to you and maybe that in this particular year that that could represent an even bigger opportunity for movies that can't afford flashy events and all that kind of stuff so that'll be really interesting to see i mean I, i would be all for it setting aside the first cow thing there's a lot of other movies that would be interesting to i know that about. your fantasy is that uh, because of all the new members and because because of this new season that there will be opportunities for lots of arcane art films to become <laughs> academy contenders and i'm going to tell you right now it's not going to happen hey when Far we started language, this screen talk yes when we started screen talk in 2014, almost 300 episodes ago, if I had told you that Bong Joon-ho was going to win four Oscars Fair for enough. a Korean language movie. He made the most accessibly commercial Korean language movie in the history of the universe is what he did. And, and it, it played like an English language movie. That's how good it was. Well, we'll see how things develop on that front. In any case, we haven't even really talked about studio stuff, but you know, largely because we haven't had a lot of studio movies to talk about. Uh, there are things They've been happening moving back on the schedule, obviously. But there was, right, but there was an executive shift this week with Emma Watts going to Paramount, and you've been looking into that. So how significant do you think it is for 
somebody at that high level to be moving to Paramount at this particular moment? Well, she was um, really doing great. Uh, she was a 22-year-old, 22-year veteran of 20th Century Fox, and she was just ro roaring with great guns with movies like The Martian, um, a lot of things at, at Fox. And then she, they get the, you know, Rupert Murdoch sold the studio to, to Disney, and she ended up with a sort of glorified label called 20th Century, and a lot of flops, partly because Disney didn't take care of them, but one of the movies she did make was Ford v. Ferrari, which did really well. So she's a really good executive, you know? She cares about story, she cares about plot, she cares about um, making smart movies. Uh, they don't have to be uh, big franchise titles. So uh, I think uh, she ended up leaving Fox because, um, and leaving, I mean, 20th Century and leaving Disney, because there was really no opportunity for her there. And now, you could see um, that uh, kind of in the in motion for a while with with yeah, a lot of that. Same with Searchlight. Was, I mean, I mean, Iger was like complaining about how badly their films were doing. <laughs> you know, earnings calls didn't take it's long. Not, not good. So, so she's a, she's gone back to her old boss, Jim Giannopoulos at Paramount, which is one of the weaker studios that was down and it, it, it was up at like nineteen percent market share. You know, and then it went down all the way to like five percent market share, and now it's back up a little bit more and she can really help uh, to make that studio sing again. Um, you know, Giannopoulos likes working with people that he knows and she's just a star. It's, it's, there's nowhere to go but up at, at Paramount and it's a tough time and uh, right. I think she could help. I, you know, I have this fantasy. I know you share this idea uh, a, a bit, you know, that, that you could have a time of great creativity and mid-market movies and, you know, get, get the box office going without spending a, a, a bunch of money on tent poles, uh, which, you know, there may not be enough theaters to support the tent poles anyway at the end of yes, this. Yes, we should talk about that. I mean, as, as great as it is to see the opportunity of, oh, hey, a, a really smart person is going to a studio right now. Nobody knows when they can go back to work. Nobody knows when the theaters are really going to open in a significant kind of way. It all Everything looks farther away down. than ever. Yep. Yeah. I mean, August doesn't, it's so, it's so close. I mean, the, the whole idea of, of doing something that's a month away that involves crowds is still unthinkable in a way that the same way it was, you know, when South by Southwest was canceled and it looked like everything for the next few months was untenable. And the fall is again, it's, it just, it feels too close now. And so we don't know when it's going to be safe. And that doesn't mean that any of these experiences are gone for good, but we're going to have to go to, through some sort of adjustment in terms of our expectations and just moving things later and later, that doesn't feel like enough. I mean, there needs to be something else in terms of the messaging here, though, that, that we are going to have to experience some kind of new normal in terms of production and in terms of um, deadlines, right? Well, I mean, you can, I think what's happening, assuming they allow Americans to enter their countries. <laughs> You know, yeah, we're kind I mean, of stuck. Cameron for now. had to go into into quarantine in New Zealand, so he's going to get uh, the Avatar first Avatar movie finished at least. Um, I, I think you could go to Iceland, you can go to Czech Republic or something, but I, I don't know um, what's going to happen here in this country. It's pretty far away. As long as actors are are vulnerable and feel unsafe, uh, I don't think you're going to get any production of that kind. Docs can make what they do and and An animation I, on some level maybe that's people seem to be turning towards that i our friend paul schrader posted that he was getting in a car and driving out to to the shoot the final five days of the card counter which has been this whole prolonged thing so where we'll 
somewhere down south. I forget offhand, but it was one of those things where it was like he had, I guess, eighty-five percent of the movies done. You know, it was a relatively quick shoot. So it's if they can just get it in under the radar, they might have a movie. But it's going I mean, to the south doesn't is, seem like a very good idea right now. I'm it's, sorry, it sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, there. I'm curious to see what happens with like guerrilla projects and stuff. I mean, forget about like just being non-union. I mean, people run around with cameras and shoot stuff for nothing all the time. Yeah, know? that kind of stuff is going on. Yeah. And my friend, uh, I do have a friend who's writing a script that's all about people in lockdown. And we saw both of us a wonderful movie on Netflix homemade which yeah, um, highly Pablo Lorraine put together um he produced uh about um is it 17 movies yeah it's 17 um, short films from filmmakers around the world we just heard about it as part of sort of an announcement that came out of the Marche and uh everything in it seems to date back not too far I think they shot March in may is, yeah basically. march and may yeah yeah it, but it's amazing this the scope of it because you know they range from like six to 11 minutes something like that but there's so many different I sensibilities four four to 11 so, yeah that's right one of them is about four minutes but i but i love that it's the way it's this kind of constant change up in terms like the approach it's great you know it really is about life and quarantine and different kinds of perspectives on that but Aside from a few about people's kids, maybe a few too many about people's kids. There were a lot really of them, alike. and some of them were better than others. I, Gorinda Chata's was extraordinary. That's actually. one of the best ones. No, yeah. it, it really was, because she, she managed to, to take the footage she had already been shooting of her own kids, give them some narrative, put in some deaths that were really quite moving. I want her to be my mother. I want to live in that <laughs> yeah. house with that, well, also, with that. I want to eat her cooking. <laughs> she did. And, and you know, and yeah, the fact that she lost her mother, it's like it, it balances a lot of different developments. And her it's aunt like funny and her and uncle. Sweet. Yeah. But, but it also, it, it gives her, son, it's her son's perspective. And I thought that was a very smart way. She kind of clearly worked with him to do that. But the way that it, it inhabits that POV, I thought was very well done. So there, there is this a charming filmmaker. There, there's a shot yeah. of uh, the Bend It Like Beckham uh, pillow and, and you right. know, Blinded by the Light, you know, promotion there. Yeah, but, I like this better than Blinded by the Light, to I be honest I loved Blinded by the Light. And right. I loved Bend It Like Beckham. She is a charming filmmaker. But there's also the way uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Shipper and Kristen Stewart each do a similar thing where they yeah. use their 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 faces, you know, their yeah. The Sebastian Shipper one is amazing. I mean, he did this amazing long take film Victoria, Victoria. a few years ago. This and so this is not that, but it's a similar kind of thing in the sense that he's like taking a cinematic concept to a very amusing extreme like he see it's like multiplicity he sees a version of himself in all these different places interacting it's i just love that you know it's like why do all of these things need to be zoom conversations there are very few that are actually unfold that way there's one that's a bunch of text messages it's fantastic that's the breakup the breakup one from the director of i'm not a witch i love that one so it was really it was brilliant um my other favorite um is this woman that i'd never heard of before she's one of the the ones that did a good children's one natalia beristain 
Um, it, it, and it, it, it was just charming what she did with her kid. Um, just amazing. You and could Rachel just see Morrison that this, did a good one. Yeah, yeah. I but just the, think they probably should have put a quota on the kids thing because every now and then it comes up and you're like, oh, another one of those. I was you know? fine with them. I was fine with the. Children. I like that. Do you have what about the Maggie Gyllenhaal one? Where I love, uh, that's one of my favorites. The dystopian he, he humps a tree. one. Yes, there's tree sex in this movie. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. It doesn't tell you how. But that one has a real narrative movie. and a yeah. story and a script Effects. and Peter uh, Skarsgård, her husband, obviously is super yeah. good. Um, it's, it's I love very that. weird, that but, it's, but it's, a, it's got vision to it. And then Anna Lily Elmir Port sing at the end narrated by Kate Blanchett is pretty cool too. So it's a, it's a long one and anthology films are always kind of a mixed bag to some degree. You don't have but to I watch them all was, at once. I split them up no, over a couple it of It is days. laid out. It's yeah. laid out like chapters and it says volume one. It's not clear if they'll do another volume, but it's Send an interesting idea. If they can keep Send that going, because it keeps filmmakers working and applying well, their talent. You didn't, I mean, the, the Queen oh, Elizabeth and the Pope and the little so puppets. Were yeah. gonna, the other thing, especially with someone like Sorrentino, you're seeing these cool, creative people who are visually sophisticated people into their books everywhere. Right. You know, they, they, you see their cool places that they're, they're, where they live. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're so you get cool. to know them through their art and their world at the same time. I want those colors. Yeah. And fabrics. We don't and, see yeah, yeah, objects. Yeah, we don't see everything that happens behind the scenes too. You know, it's like there probably is some back and forth on cuts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it doesn't feel like they were I'd just like, to like talk to Pablo Lorraine about how yeah. he did this. Let's you figure should call it out. Him. You should to get be him continued. The, bring him on the podcast and we'll ask him. <laughs> all right. I love to be him. Continued. <laughs> well, before we go, we should talk about Hamilton because that's coming out on Disney Plus, and it's. I think if you're hanging out with your family on Fourth of July, which you should probably do instead of go to a beach. Um, this is a good way to hang out. Most people have not seen Hamilton. I know a lot of people have heard the soundtrack. Um, for me, I saw it about a year and a half after it opened, not with the original cast. I thought that revisiting it with that original cast uh, was really energizing and satisfying. They do a really good job of capturing what it's like to see it on the stage. And you saw it on the stage also not with the original cast. No, right? I saw it with the original cast. Oh, you did? Okay, so, so was, I'm curious that to That was the case where I tried to get into the public. I couldn't. I waited for it to mm. go to Broadway. I wanted to see it around the time of the New York Film Festival. I couldn't mm. get a ticket. And at that point, I bought a ticket for right after the Oscars and literally flew to New York for the sole purpose of seeing Hamilton. Wow. And I did yeah, not Yeah, I mean, it's worth it, right? You I got your money worth. I was proud of myself, <laughs> but I got to see it with the original yeah. with the original cast and I'm I'm a huge fan and I, you know, listen to it all the time and and uh, if 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 Lynn Manuel can wear earbuds like this, so can I. He's an inspiration to many. I, I, his goofy post Hamilton persona is really interesting in light of watching this show that was recorded in 2016, uh, because it's such a different. You know, he's not silly in the show. It's very much a studied, complex performance. I don't think in fact, silly is the word I would use. I would say that he says, "You're right. He's very serious, but he takes. He has a Twitter persona and he has a film persona, and he's really." Um, his Careful. persona is more ebullient than he is in the show. I guess that's what exactly. I'm saying. He's very, he's, he's, he's very, because uh, I've interviewed him a couple times. He's mm -hmm. extremely careful about what he says. He's one of those right. people who's a representative. Oh, yeah. I mean, of, in fact, I mean, I culture. have this story that I just finished working on. on the whole. It. Yeah, I've been working on a story about the casting of the show and the diver I talked to the, the original casting directors and they were talking about the 
sophistication through which they decided how this show would be diverse by not including specific diversity requirements, but wanting to lean into that possibility. He doesn't want to talk about that himself. No, he's so very careful. He stays away from it. It's very interesting. And people kind of ask approach. him political questions all the time. And yeah. because here's what's happened. 2016 was during the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. It was about George Washington. If they played in, in, in the White House for Obama, you had George Washington played by a black man, right? It was a big yeah. deal. It was extraordinary. And now it, it, it's, it's Black Lives Matter now. Now it's a different time. It's a Trump administration and it, it plays slightly differently. I asked a bunch of the actors, Anthony Ramos, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, Christopher Jackson, if they if they were in the hypothetical invited to the White House again under the current administration, if they would ha. perform, and they <laughs> didn't take long to to say no to that one. So and and they they had different ways of saying no. I mean, there was some who said you know they don't respect. Uh, you know, the diversity or others who said, you know, the president doesn't show much investment in, in creativity or in arts or anything. It doesn't have to do with himself. And, and one person was saying they wouldn't feel safe walking in and out that it's less about the experience in the White wow. House and more about how it would be perceived. So it's very wow. interesting kind of a challenge to navigate. But in any case, I Your do story recommend is up people today, watch. right? Yeah. And I recommend people watch the, the this thing even if you know the soundtrack inside out because Absolutely. there is there is filmmaking in it too like that there's some really it's great still the recording of a, of a of it's a, a show you can but but you can see the concert master you can see people you know you could see you things don't see up close you see like makeup you see yeah. a lot of close-ups the close-ups are great because they really give you a sense of the performances. And some of the angles are, are really fun. Like when the king, who's, you know, a great kind of comic foil in the story, when he first comes on stage, it's, for, it's from backstage. It's like behind his back. So, you see, so it kind of builds up the drama of his arrival and stuff. So it, it, is, it gives you a kind of visceral engagement. But um, in any case, it is a nice way to uh, Jonathan to Goss. Break. Can't get enough yeah. of him. Amazing, amazing, and I'd love to see how other people do that character. And the other too, people because... on the—it's—it's it's just an extraordinary thing to see how many people um, in, in that show have gone on. You know, Debbie Diggs and so on, and Leslie Adam Jr. Yep. Great careers. And the other thing that I always want to remember remind people is that what's uh, another great thing about the show is yes, it's about Hamilton, and yes, he's got his posse, his guys, but there are a lot of strong women in this show really great women philip sue is amazing and uh he gives them equal time yeah i mean and eliza it's kind of like she ends up being you could have a sequel about her because the show ends on her so it does kind of set her up to be a shadow figure who steps forward into the spotlight at the very end it's worth looking at it from that angle too burn <laughs> <laughs> no but i i do think people should look at both of these things. Hamilton and Homemade are both absolutely unique cinematic kinds of experiences that you can watch at home. So, you know, we may not have film festivals right now. We may not have, you know, big 4th of July weekend movies, but there is a way to experience new releases within the constraints of what we have that are exciting and, and different from other kinds of options out there. So, um, so I hope that people get a chance to check those things out and um, we'll come back next week after the long weekend refreshed and One hopes. ready to figure out <laughs> <laughs> whatever's happening next on the calendar so enjoy your time off and and uh, sleep well eric <laughs> i will do my best all right bye bye
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.